Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Welcome, brothers and sisters, to Christchurch Jerusalem, to our uh, evening Bible study. We are in the book of Leviticus, We're actually up to chapter 23, so... Um, a few chapters to go, about five. Should take us another six months at our rate. But uh, we are a little summary for, of Leviticus 22. But before we begin, we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit binds us all together. You know, He's with you wherever you are right now. He's with me and my family, which is truly a blessing. So we acknowledge His presence and we bless Him for that. Uh, and, and the way we can do that is through prayer. So Brother David is going to lead us in prayer for our study. Sovereign Father in heaven, mighty God, Abba, we thank you for this amazing privilege you allow us of coming before you again this evening, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us. And Abba, we glorify you, we exalt you, we bless you, and we thank you for, for, for being our God, our Father, and our Creator, and for allowing us to hear your word, Father. And we ask you, Father, to open our hearts to receive your word today, Lord, and help us, Father, to, to go away from here tonight, Lord, having learned more of you, Father, and grown deeper in our relationship with you, Father. Father, we ask you, Father, to let the words of our mouths, Lord, the, the meditations of our hearts, Lord, the thoughts of our minds to be acceptable in your site today. We ask you, Father, to please anoint Aaron afresh tonight, strengthen him, Father, and let him speak through you, Father, as to what you want him to say. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So here's a summary. It's been a couple of weeks now. Um, it's great to be back in Jerusalem. It's great to be back studying again with you guys. Uh, here's a summary of our discussion from Leviticus 22. The Levitical priesthood had been called to serve and guard the holy objects that had been declared sacred. The altar, the tabernacle, the showbread, the incense, the menorah, and more did not belong to the priests themselves. They belonged to God. Thus, failure to keep them holy was to profane the name of the Lord. Because the Lord is holy and subsequently Anything bearing his name is holy. The priests had to perform the temple service while in a state of ritual purity. Uncleanliness was not always avoidable, of course. Often the causes of impurity resulted from normal, everyday activities and are not considered sinful. The purpose of the mandate for priestly holiness was to protect the sanctity of the tabernacle. Worship, sacrifice, and service were always meant to be special, unique, and never commonplace. Familiarity breeds contempt, and making God and the ritual surrounding his worship something common is dangerous ground, spiritually and theologically. Deliberately choosing to be in the presence of the Lord in an unclean state indicated a heart of contempt for God's holiness and that would result in excommunication. Impurity in and of itself was not a sin and could be rectified through water and time, with the defiled priest becoming clean at evening, the start of the day during creation week, and symbolic of new beginnings. Bodily disfigurement was thought to be 
of a reflection of inner purity, inner impurity in the ancient world. So one of the commands of Moses was to instruct the priesthood not to allow disfigured priests to serve before the Lord. The clergy were not the only things to be pure. We already had seen this injunction in the equality of the Lord's offerings. Sacrificial animals were required to be without a blemish and were to be a reflection of the priest's own purity. The worshipper, the offering, and the serving clergy all equally appeared before the Lord in united holiness. Several times in Leviticus, we have the sentence, I, the Lord, make you holy. And we have it occurring here again in this chapter. Holiness is imbued upon us through the love and the blessing of a holy God. Our obligation in return is to maintain that sanctity. The prophet Malachi prophesied against a generation that deliberately brought defective animals into the temple. That's Malachi 1, 7 and 8. The teachings and the instruction of God have, unfortunately and tragically, been ignored by both the Jewish people and the church. Holiness and impurity are personal as well as communion. Both are transferable. So utmost care was taken to restrict access by those that were deemed impure to segments of the community and the sanctuary grounds itself. Priests could not marry divorced women, as the principal charge against a woman in a divorce was infidelity, thus making everybody impure. The stain of unfaithfulness was not to be brought before a faithful God, just as the stain of death was not permitted before the God of life. Holiness and impurity could also be consumed through the eating sacred offerings, which were the right of the priests to partake just not while in a state of impurity. Paul makes a reference to this instruction when he warns of partaking of the Eucharist in an unworthy manner, akin to eating and drinking damnation. There is a lot of meaning in the order, ritual, and instructions concerning sacrifices. Moses gives a new instruction that newborn animals had to be eight days old before they were acceptable as sacrifices. Now, it's tempting to put humanitarian reasons for wanting for waiting eight days, and many scholars do do this in their commentaries. However, the eighth day carries connotations for Jewish listeners too. Circumcision, the covenant with Abraham, and the completion of creation by the eighth day. Having called the people to be holy, the worship space and its objects holy, the priesthood and the offerings holy, we now move into another thing that is called holy, time itself. So we begin chapter 23. Now, 23 has 44 verses. Now, you could all just sit and listen to my boring voice, or we could take, there are seven different uh, uh, feasts. We could just, seven of us could, could read. Does that sound all right? Different voice. Most of you have Bibles, I'm hoping. I hope you all brought your Bibles. And the guy that's driving the car listening to this, put your Bible down, concentrate on the road. That would be great. All right. So I'll read the first one, which is the Sabbath, because I love it. And then uh, who wants to read Passover? Great. David's going to read Passover. Who's going to read Feast of First Fruits? Good on you, Janet. All right. Feast of Weeks. Shovel what? Who wants that one? Linda. Fantastic. Trumpets. Who wants to sound the trumpet hall for us? Kate. Fantastic. Day of Atonement. Ooh, okay. Who wants that one? 
was always a fun one. Great. Shimshon, my brave rabbi from Nigeria. Okay. And then there's a big one, Feast of Booths. So uh, great. Excellent. Fantastic. London, you got it. So everyone's got their little passage. Just unmute yourselves when you're ready and, um, and then mute yourselves back when, when you're done. So brothers and sisters, the feasts of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord and you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done. But on the seventh day, it is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their seasons. In the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread. And to the Lord, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have an holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is an holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land, which I am going to give to you, and reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, one year old, without defect, for a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall then be two-tenths of nephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering by fire to the Lord for a soothing aroma with its drink offering, a fourth of a hin of wine. Until this same day, until you have brought in the offering of your God, you shall eat neither bread nor roasted grain nor new growth. It is to be a perpetual statue throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Shabbats shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Shabbat. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with a grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Carry on. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest and shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. 
When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. When you reap, nor shall you gain, gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. The Feast of Trumpets. Then the Lord spoke, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath, rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Mark the tenth day of this of this seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be a sacred occasion for you. You shall practice self-denial, and you shall bring an offering by fire to the Lord. You shall, do not, you shall do no work throughout that day, for it is a day of atonement on which expiation is made for on your behalf before the Lord your God. Indeed, any person who does, any, who does not practice self-denial throughout that day shall be cut off from his king. And whoever does any work throughout that day, I will cause that person to perish from among his people. Do not do no work whatever. It is a law for all time throughout the ages in all your settlement. It shall be a Shabbat of complete rest for you, and you shall practice self-denial on the ninth day of the month of at evening, from evening to evening, you shall observe this, your Shabbat. Hashem spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, on the 15th day of the seventh month is the festival of Sukkot, a seven-day period for Hashem. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work. For a seven-day period, you shall offer a fire offering to Hashem. And on the eighth day, there shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall offer a fire offering to Hashem. It is an assembly. You shall not do any laborious work. These are the, the appointed festivals of Hashem, that you shall proclaim as holy convocations to offer as a fire offering to Hashem, an elevation offering and its meal offering, a feast offering and its libation, each day's requirement on its day, aside from Hashem's Sabbath and, and aside from your gifts, aside from all your vows and aside from all your free will offerings, which you will present to Hashem. On, but on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you gather in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate Hashem's festival for a seven-day period. The first day is a rest day, and the eighth day is a rest day. You shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the citron tree, the branches of date palms, twigs of a plaited tree, and brook willows, and you shall rejoice before Hashem, your Hashem your God, for a seven-day period. You shall celebrate it as a festival for Hashem, a seven-day period in the year, an eternal decree for all generations. In the seventh month shall you celebrate it. You shall dwell in booths for a seven-day period. Every native Israel, every native in Israel shall dwell in booths, so that your generations will know that I caused the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I took them from the land of Egypt 
I am Hashem, your God. And Moses declared the appointed festivals of Hashem to the children of Israel. Awesome. Thanks very much, friends, for helping me out there. Okay. The feasts of the Lord are familiar to, to most of us. Maybe not everybody, but, but definitely to, to most of us. And I'm going to assume that uh, many of those who are also listening are quite familiar. If not, there's a bunch of videos that you can uh, look at at Christchurch to, to, also, to also look uh, and see and learn or simply email us and get us in contact and we would be delighted share a little bit more teaching on the festivals of the Lord. But brothers and sisters, based on just a literal reading, what we've heard, what jumps out at you in these, this, this, these seven feasts, the, uh, the appointed times of the Lord, the, the holy sacred time? Anything? What do they all seem to be based around? Shimshon. Yeah, um, the, one of the very striking thing there um, is in just opposed to what is being called today in every the world. We call it the Jewish feast. But here we see expressly that God actually is the owner. It's not the Jewish feast. It's not referred to as anything else. But my, in fact, God personalized it to say my appointed feast, you know. And it's very, very important that uh, we, we grab this concept of God owning it and giving it to us. It's not the Jewish feast. In fact, most people that refer to it as a Jewish feast are the Christians. They say, no, it's for the Jews. It's for the Jews. And so they kind of take it. Okay, you've given it to us. Let's, uh, let's have it. Um, but it's for us. Aaron, you had asked a question. And most of the feasts revolve around agriculture. Okay. They, they, they revolve around agriculture. That's true. We, we know that from the way that it maps out in the calendar. In and the also time, the temple. And in, in the, the temple. temple. But on the text, the, there's something that, that constantly was being brought up in, in just about every one of the festivals. Okay? It's, a, it's very interesting. The festivals, the, the appointed feasts of the Lord, Shimshon's right, God owning special time, and it's all based around something. Sabbath. You're right, Sabbath. the Sabbath. It's based around the Sabbath. It's, um, this is the Sabbath. This is the Sabbath to the Lord. This is the, the first day is the Sabbath, the eighth day is the Sabbath. It's, there's this constant reference to rest, to taking some time. And, and even sometimes in the text it says, this is a Sabbath to the Lord. I mean, you're resting. And somehow, spiritually as well as physically and theologically, the action of resting is some way also honouring and giving glory to the Lord. Now, that seems really strange. Like, how shall I worship the Lord today? Oh, I think I'll sit on my butt. Um, that's not exactly what that really means, but there's this action of resting and enjoying uh, family, God's presence, sacred time that actually honours the Lord. It's based, around, it's based around this thing called the Sabbath, which... Um, which we heard about in Genesis chapter 1, and then the world forgot it, and we don't hear about it again until the Exodus when God turns around in commandment number 4 and says, remember the Sabbath. Why? If you guys forgot. I don't want you to forget. Pretty important. And it's interesting, Aaron, that it's the feast. It's the first of the, it's like before it goes into the feast, it's, it talks about the Sabbath first and then and then proceeds to talk. So it's like the, the, the head of 
the feasts. Right. The queen of festivals is the Sabbath. And it's kind of like it's setting it all up. Let's talk about the Sabbath. Let's get that practice done. And then I'll show you the rest of my calendar. Oh, by the way, the Sabbath all pops in all the time. Is it counted in Sabbaths as well? So it's the Sabbath. It's the seventh after the Sabbath. It's counted in Sabbaths. So, yes, it's quite, quite incredible. The, the idea of sacred time based around uh, Shabbat. Shimshon, you were going to say something? Yeah, um, I just wanted to just um, join the, the point you just um, said about resting. The idea where we speak about holiday today is actually gotten from the word holiday. Yes. And um, when people have a holiday, that's when, you know, we say you have an holiday. And um, it, it's, uh, it's very ingrained in our society, but we don't kind of connect it to God. And so we don't know that God actually, actually set us for these holidays. Ah, very good. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> All right. There's a bunch of hands raised. I should probably go through them. So let's start with Teresa from London. Thank you, Aaron. I like the idea that um, these festivals can be regarded as like sanctuaries in God's time. You know, and I think the idea of regarding it as a sanctuary for God, which is what the Sabbath is, but it's just that they really are. They're opportunities to spend time with God and to focus on him. And I think that's a prime thing within the framework also of the agricultural stuff, because there's a relevance in that, isn't there, to help Absolutely. them to avoid idolatry. Yeah. I mean, the agricultural thing is something that you read in after you've seen the calendar list, because it, it, uh, uh, but, but, uh, uh, and that comes in. And then traditions and, and other things will be added to it. We'll discuss those in a minute. But continuing on the, pra on the practical, where did you hear the idea of sanctuary and time? Did you, is it a reading? Uh, I have to be honest with you. I'm pretty certain it will have been Rabbi Sachs. Sachs, okay. Lord Jonathan Sachs. I think so. But I like that. But the idea that the reason for the agricultural festivals was so that they would focus on the fact that God had been their provider and the rainfall that they prayed for and got was not because of idols. You know, you, if you pray to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that's where your, your dependence had to be. And I read that in um, one of those books. You must know them, Aaron. You get in Neot Neot Kedumim, isn't it? Kedumim, the biblical yeah. garden um, by Nogar Haraveni. And his, I think his father was a rabbi. And he's, he's got some lovely little bits in it. And I particularly liked that. So that idea with the, the festivals. And the other thing that Jonathan Sachs had said, which I think is brilliant, is Sukkot is a festival of insecurity. Sukkot is a festival of insecurity because you have to leave a dwelling and live in a booth? In the sense that you have to go and live in a booth and you have to, you know, you're dependent on all the elements and okay. you leave your wealth, you leave your harvest and all of that and you go and dwell in a booth. That was the idea behind it. And yeah, I've, I've used that quite a few times. All of those comments I've used quite a few times yeah. it's because they're very meaningful and they add to it. Yeah, it was quite, quite, a, quite a gentleman that Lord Rabbi said. Sanctuary in time, I think, is Abraham Herschel. Maybe is it? That's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the book on the Sabbath. He talks about that in one of the chapters. Well, that isn't where I got it from. But the point is, that it was Jonathan Sachs. It may also be his. Well, if, if, <laughs> if Lord Sachs hasn't read Abraham Herschel, I will be, I'm a monkey's uncle. Okay. So um, I think everybody's uh, read, read uh, Abraham, Abraham Herschel. 
All right, guys. Uh, another another English uh, couple, David or Vida. The two two things strike me about this is that the first is that like when the Lord God gave Moses specific and detailed instruction regarding the tabernacle, here again he's giving specific and detailed instruction about his feasts, and uh, I love the precision in that. And secondly, we're talking about Sabbaths here, right? We're talking about the Lord God as as Lord of the Sabbath here. We also see that men or people are resting in the Sabbath. Lord Jesus picks this up and he echoes this by saying he is Lord of the Sabbath and Sabbath was made for man. So we can see how this has been acted here physically and acted spiritually uh, in in the New Testament. So and physically in the New Testament. So and and I think there's, there's the continuation into the New Testament. Yeah. Most most of the temple worship or tabernacle worship that we've seen is conducted in a certain place. Yes. Now, once you get to the calendar of the Lord, where can it be conducted and by who? Yes. Everyone. Everyone. Right. Suddenly everyone's the priest. Right? It, speak to the people of Israel. In all of your dwellings, you can do this. As opposed to, now that doesn't mean he doesn't want people to come to him during the three high holidays, you know, the three pilgrim festivals. That's not what I'm saying. But you can still do these things in your dwellings. There was one of the seven festivals which actually says only Israelites should do it. Anyone know which one? Sukkot. Sukkot. Everybody else says, everybody does it in all of your dwellings. Uh, The Hebrew is Moshav, Moshav or Techem. You know, a Moshav is a... but a moshav doesn't have to be in Israel. May, may I just add something to this? Is when, when, when we talk about Sukkot here, what we're seeing here is on the transfiguration with Lord Jesus Christ, when Peter said to him, Lord, it seems right that we make tabernacles for you, for Eli- Elijah and for Moses, right? It, it's as though Peter at that time thought that was going to be another exodus, that the Lord was going to lead the people out again into a... a a promised land, as, as it were. So there's an echo through there as well. So, A mm. mm. couple more hands raised. Mordecai, our, uh, Jerusalem's favorite rabbi. Thank you so much. Um, sorry for jumping on a bit late. Uh, we are talking about the festival of the Lord, right? We are. So, I mean, uh, it, I have two options on this. It might be like a really physical option, like celebrating Scott together as is written in Zechariah 14. But I really like this in Matthew 8, 11, where Jesus is talking about all the nations will come and uh, recycle with Abraham. I would like to read. It says, I tell you, I'm reading from an ASV. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov in the kingdom of heaven. So maybe this is the festival because every festival is, you know, Reverend and those who mingle with Jews, that festival means food table and you sit and drink eat you enjoy and when you are satisfied you give thanks to uh, your your god lord your god and here maybe it is talking about this like maybe it's not a super physical like a specific festival we are talking about but in general you know generally speaking that is one of the uh, prophecies that is being fulfilled with us especially at Christchurch when you see these Koreans Singaporeans Jews Gentiles worshiping and reclining at the same table by taking the supper, you know, the Lord's Supper. So that's what I think. Okay, interesting. Great. Thanks, man. Awesome. Uh, Janet, you had a hand raised? 
Are you still there? Did you disappear? She might be back. All right. Okay. So I noticed, as we've discussed, that everything seems to revolve around this Sabbath thing, which is uh, uh, the first thing that God called holy, which was made before Sinai. Right? We all, it's one of those things, oh, the Sabbath was, you know, it's a Jewish thing. Well, hang on. It was actually made in, in Genesis chapter 1. Then, and, and, and all of the universe seems to be built on it. And then you have the holy feasts of the Lord, and they're built around this, this little piece of special time. And this idea of uh, that it's um, little sanctuaries in time that uh, can be created. And we get one every week that we can um, retreat to. Now, if you don't, and, and a lot of people don't, if your world is purely 24-7, where does that leave us? What, is that, what, what effect does that have on it? Um, now, I know we're going to be speaking generally, so let's have at it, guys. What does a 24-7 world look like? I mean, we obviously see it. Burnout. People get burnout from never resting. Yeah. And they and burn the, out. And the pace is very fast as well. Uh, you know, it's, 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 that inevitably happens, I think. It's a, it becomes a frenzy, I think. It does. And like, I gotta admit, I, sometimes there are things happen and I can't keep up. You, yeah. know, you get phone calls, you get a text. You get a message. You, you go, oh, my gosh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And you stand there still all of a sudden you freeze and you go, I actually can't keep up. What do I do? Lord, help me, help me, help me. I, one thing at a time. Calm down, Aaron. But sometimes, you know, you panic a bit and go, oh, I've got to try and do everything. Obviously, I can't. Let's do, the, let's do the one task in front of me and keep going. Okay, I'm not going to stop, but keep going. And, and, do some people feel that they have to fill 24 hours a day doing something? I, I noticed yes. that. It, it, it's, it's almost considered to be, you know, you're being idle if you're not doing something. Well, quite often I spend a few hours idly thinking, and, and I think that's the most important thing, and reading, and um, it's good to have a day where it's set aside for that. But in this modern world, it's 24-hour news, 24-hour, and in that 24-hour news, it's as though things are created to fill it, to fill the news. There's, there's the same amount of news, but you're not, you're not seeing the important stuff. You're seeing all the little bits that just to be different. So it's, yeah. a weird, it's a weird turning on the head of our daily life. It turns everything upside down. Yes, yeah, something, something has happened to our world. As Teresa mentioned, burnout is affecting, it's affected a few of our friends uh, yeah. and a few uh, strong believers, lovers of the Lord, workers on the mission field. You know, you'd think these are the ones that the Lord will protect. You know, he'll keep them safe and then they suffer from burnout and crash and need to go home. And so um, be careful with, um, with the gift of the Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath was made for man. There is something about being recharged about being re-energized, about actually being in the presence of the Lord. And uh, that doesn't mean you have to do it on Shabbat. You remember, in the temple, you worship the Lord every day. So that's, that's, that's not the issue. I mean, I always like when Paul says, I don't care which day you worship the Lord, just pick one, dang it, uh, and, and, and worship your little socks off. But it still means the Shabbat's the Shabbat. <laughs> All right. So, Janet, you had a hand raised earlier, and then you're back. So up to you. Yeah, sorry, I had something else came up. Um, just on that earlier, um, 
I found it very interesting that the feasts, the feasts really do um, plant people in the land or link them to the land, especially the Sukkot, as as Marty mentioned. Um, I mean, you you've got the, you've got the seasons. You, you know, you don't have those seasons in Australia. Or you don't have them somewhere else. It's like okay, you really need to be in the land to do these feasts. But but getting to what we just said about resting. Um, I feel like in the West, we live in a culture where people, they want to have holidays, but they're also, they're not really, they're still very sort of individually focused. I mean, I'll take a holiday, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go somewhere. They're still sort of very self-focused. The resting is not focused on really resting or, or focusing at all on, on God. Um, So um, yeah. And I, I, I posted this week. I don't post many things on Facebook, but but um, I was I was given a posting from the head of a large department store in Canada many years ago. We don't have the store anymore, Eaton's, and he he posted that he wanted to have a five day week so that working mothers could have time to quote play with their children. And um, I, I think that the other thing about the twenty four seven is that it really um, there's just no family life because somebody's doing something every day and there's no sense of, okay, this is, I mean, people may say, well, we'll make this family time, but, but the culture sort of mitigates against it. And, um, you know, whether it's Saturday or Sunday, and I, I find, you know, in the place that I'm living, many, many events are planned for Sunday morning, like community events now. There's no sort of recognition that some people might want to be taking that as, as a special day for the Lord. So it, it's, um, it, it's as if every day is the same now. There's no sort of sense of yeah. distinguishing of anything in time. It's all... Um, I think you've hit a nail on the head there, Jenna. You have to actually purposefully set aside the time. And the Lord is doing it here, but anybody has to purposely set aside the time. And I like Andrew's comment in the chat. Says this time together is holy time. You know, <laughs> you know, we've set aside a special bit of time. In 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 Jerusalem, it is Tuesday night. In in other places, it's morning, afternoon, whatever. Um, but it's our time, and it's a special special time, and uh, which is also great. And the Lord delights in that in that too. And technically, this is also based around the Sabbath. Why? Because it's the third day after the Shabbat. <laughs> So it's like, when shall we meet? The third day after Shabbat, okay? Uh, day three, as that, or in the book of John. We should all be going and have a wedding now. But uh, you know what I mean. Or at least turning water into wine. Um, there's a, another bunch of hands raised there still. Um, uh, I'll, I'll get, I'll, one of the other things that I've mentioned uh, just before we be, uh, go, go to Teresa, God has a thing to say. It's like, on my appointed times, you don't do any work. Now, why does he have to keep saying that? What is it about work and holy time? What's the connection there where God says, don't do no more work, please? When, when you've got some time for me, set aside, stop, stop your normal. That doesn't mean that priests don't have to work because they're working, which technically is their normal work. So you get these kind of interesting little uh, uh, dichotomies going up. But for the majority of us, we are instructed that uh, when it's time to be with the Lord, stop working. Interesting for 
Okay, so while we're thinking about that, Teresa from sunny London. Interestingly, my translation said, do no, no laborious work. And yeah. I later, perhaps Moti can comment on that. Maybe it was a bad translation. You know, I'm in the Chumash again. Um, I was going to comment on people filling their days. You know, I'm going to, now I'm going back to the psychotherapist bit of me. I think we're often filling the emptiness and we use work, particularly if we have a lot of pain. For example, if you're grieving um, and maybe you're not even conscious of what you're trying to run away from, but to fill time can be um, something that just helps us get through. And it's not good, obviously it's not, but I do think that that's what we, we're often doing. I've seen it in people. I know for myself, I can do that too. And I get, and also it's very seductive because I always think, well, oh, I must finish that and then I will. But I never get to the then I will. And I've come to I never to get to the then. There's always something else. Yeah. No, I, exactly. So I think I'm, you know, I'm trying to get far more disciplined. I was more disciplined about the Shabbat, but I need to get far more disciplined about turning off the phone and leaving it off because people do contact me a lot on WhatsApp, particularly on Saturdays. And if I look, I then start replying sometimes. It depends what it is. And it's just lethal to do that. So I need to be more disciplined myself because it's so easy to slip with these phones. And I'm not on the phone and all that stuff as much as many other people. But I think to cut your computer off, at least for a period, is, is a good practice. And then really try and devote that time to focusing on the Lord and and his creation, and, and just be still, be still before the Lord, just be still, because we're never still, you know, and, and it is hard, because I think things somehow, everybody I know is busy, everybody I know hasn't got enough time to do all they need to do, and it's happened to me, it is much worse, I have to say, I don't know why that is, but I'm finding it much, much worse, and I'm just thinking, I'm just going to have to let some things go for a while, because you just can't keep up with everything and have enough rest. And it, it is that. But I do think that blocking things out <clears throat> is a major thing, you, particularly in people who are not believers. Yeah. You know, they've got to fill their time. They fill the emptiness. Yes. Here, obviously, the uh, instructions for sacred time is given to people who know the Lord. Yes. Um, so it's one of the blessings, actually, when you're sharing your faith. You know, um, come to the Lord. The Lord, he's going to redeem you, he's going to save you. Oh, and he's actually going to make your life a little easier with special time. Yes. And you're like, what are you talking about? So your 24-7 world that you're living in, it's not the way it's meant to be. Okay? Part of the good news is 24-7 is not so healthy. Um, yeah. All right, so Shimshon from Nigeria. How's the Sabbath down there for you? Is it Okay. <laughs> It's okay. I mean, it's um, it's like um, although it's, uh, it's it's we have more um, Christian kind of orientation, and um, the societies are very tuned to working on Shabbat, like um, going shopping and um, doing other things. Usually, very heavy on those days. So you 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 get a lot of distractions. People um, try to come into your space, but um, some people do understand, and we, we have a very growing. Um, Shabbat community right now in Nigeria. Um, apart from the Seventh-day Adventists, we also have um, the Orthodox groups and um, a lot of Messianic groups also springing up. Um, just to mention that um, 
God gives us his, his appointment. And in Genesis 1, verse 14, you see God gives us the, the time of how to identify the appointment. You see, he made two great lights for, for separating between day and night and also for the Moadim in Genesis 1, 14. Then we come here and he says that these are my Moadim. So how do we know the Moed? The Moed is identified when you see the new moon, when you see the full moon in the 15th of the month, you know, and the things like that. It's so, it's so it's very interesting that God gives this sign and we see the creation already working in consonant to identify this day for us. It, it's beautiful. It's interesting you say that, Shimshon, because yesterday, yesterday we um, studied Genesis and we actually read that portion. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I tried to come in, but I think I was late. Um, we, we, um, you, um, Modi started a bit early, and um, I came and just kind of listened. But it's very interesting to note that um, Genesis is a very recommended study for every believer. I mean, if you don't understand how we started, then how can you understand where we're going? <laughs> you know, um, so it's very interesting that um, God sets up the Moed from the time the elements he has created in this creation and said that um, when you look at Genesis, um, Exodus 12, um, Exodus 12 says that um, most, this shall be the beginning of months to you. How does Moses identify the beginning of month? Of course, it says the new moon and he says, okay, this is the beginning of this month. Then some other thing that we also identify in this, um, um, in the Moed um, is that it's something that helps us to get refreshed. Indeed. The uh, interesting thing that Shimshon had added in the chat, he just froze there, is that the idea that on the Sabbath, God renews uh, creation. So as we see in Genesis, God sets up within itself, within creation fabric itself, the idea of a way that it can self-renew that it can, it can have a rest, it can have some special time, um, times with the Lord, times with family, times to recharge. Uh, that doesn't mean that there's an absence of work. We do have work. We've got six days to do it. In fact, God also says in Genesis, you're going to start working and you're going to rule creation for me, with me, actually. So, you know, subdue the earth. But there are times when uh, uh, you need to rest. And then Janet had added, uh, from the book of Matthew, where, where Jesus knows, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He, the, the Messiah, intimately knows our need and says uh, that you also need, need to rest. And obviously, he's the best of rests. Uh, and as the, the writer of Hebrews reminds us, in the whole idea of the Messianic Shabbat, there is a, a, a millennial Sabbath. There's a, a, this blessed millennial future Shabbat that's, that's coming. That's coming with the Messiah. Hallelujah. Bring that on. Okay. Uh, Scotland. Time for Linda Morris from sunny Scotland. Yeah, it, just talking about the Shabbat, I, when I was at Bible College in Jerusalem, um, the teacher there in Jewish studies was saying says it's, it's 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 an attitude of mind as well Shabbat because it's it's you, you go out when you when you leave work at the end of the week you you should go out as if in your mind as if you're 
you know, if you work in an office, your your filing basket is empty. Whatever you do, that everything's done. You, you should you prepare your mind to think that everything that you should have achieved through the week has been done. And so when you go into Shabbat, it's all clear. And he said it's like God saying to us, "You guys have a rest. I can I can run the world by myself for a day. You have a rest." And and I know from experience in Jerusalem that when that Shabbat siren goes off, it's it's like everything from head to toe you just go like one massive sigh and it's not that you can rest it's you're expected to rest which is helpful as well there's not people around you you know cutting their grass and cleaning their cars and stuff everybody's doing it as well and that that sense of huge just relief that everything you know you can just rest and and that's the thing I struggled with most when I came back to Scotland was It was was getting that day because it's it's a busy day. You're working through the week and everything. But since lockdown, I claimed it back. I got it back, and I, I cleared because everything went, didn't it? So you could, when you came out of it, you could rearrange your week. So I've got that back, and I'm telling you, the the benefits of it. You get to the end of the day, and it's you're ready to go again because you've rested. But it's this attitude of mind as well that everything's finished, everything's taken care of. I can rest, and it's an, like you say, it's appointed time. It's an appointment. With God. It's no point with God. I'm already correct. Okay. Um, Mordecai, you had a hand raised there for a bit. Did you have some of the comments? I know you've taken it down, but. I was going to say, like, it's all, all about putting God first and being loyal to him. You see, in our generation, you see people sitting in the cafes, sometimes the couples or, like, normal friends. They are not even looking at each other. They are just very busy on their phones. So if you dedicate that time specifically on meeting that guy or girl, then why are you just playing with your phone? So what's more important, the phone or the guy or girl you're meeting? So it's the same thing. Like, if God is important, God should be first. He's, he doesn't want you to deal with a lot of stuff. He wants you to dedicate your day or time to fully focus him, worship him. And as you know, I'm just being in the reception. I am just uh, helping all these Americans and uh, foreigners who are trying to find food on Shabbat. And 90% of them enjoy and respect the way Jews respect Shabbat. And they think, man, we are missing this. You know, in America, everything is open 24-7. You just drive through, everything is open. There is not, nothing closes ever. Now, like, it's so good that life stops for a day. And you see how important God for them is, they say. So they clearly see it. So it's basically all about being loyal to him, following his commandment, plus showing the world and to ourselves and to him that he is the most important thing and we are dedicating our times for him, to him. Awesome. uh, uh, Roddy also wanted to, in chat, just wanted to remind us that Shabbat doesn't actually literally mean rest. Okay, Leshebet uh, means to sit. That's the, the, the verb that it comes from. Uh, other words that you make from this verb are like shvita, which means strike, which means stop, right? You stop doing what you're doing. You literally, so we use the, it, rest is also implied, but the actual word itself um, doesn't mean rest. The, the word rest is, is noach, okay? It's uh, the noach, to sit down and actually we're all talking about Teresa, Mordecai, Simshon. Um, 
we have to stop first. I, I get the picture here in Jerusalem, the hour or two hours or even the whole day, the preparation for, for as Shabbat comes in, everyone is hustling and bustling and running in preparation to stop and all attention goes to the Lord. And yes, as it follows, we will, we will fellowship with our friends and family and eat and drink and worship him. And we will rest during that time. But it's about stopping and giving 110% attention to him. Which is the attitude that uh, you're mentioning as well. Thanks, Linda. Uh, David Ovida, hand raised. It's just interesting what Roddy said about what the Shabbat can mean, because I find it fascinating that in the Shabbat, there's a lot of things people have to do. And yet it's supposed to be this day of rest. For, and it, I mean, I get it's all God's appointed feast and it's all for God. But we see sacrifices, people bringing up wave offerings. And there's a lot of things they have to do on the Shabbats as well. So I find that quite fascinating. That why is the sacrifices and all some of that happening on some of the Shabbats okay, yes. on, on these special days for the Lord? Now, I, I, I get all of this pointing to the Lord. I, I really do get that. But I just find it very fascinating. And Roddy kind of helped me with the explanation of the Shabbat, not just always meaning rest. Yep, that's right. There is, a, there is an aspect, it's an attitude of stop what you're doing that's normal and focus on the Lord. And in the temple and tabernacle, that also included a trip to the worship space perhaps to bring some sort of offering. Obviously, we think everyone's bringing an animal, but it's actually not true because not everybody had animals. Most of their offerings were grain, so a little bit more simple. But those poor priests, okay, they, they were busy and they took it in turns. And as we all know, people do work on the Sabbath. Uh, the police work, army are working, nurses and doctors are working, praise be to God. You know, there's pharmacies that are open so you can go and get your medicines. Um, uh, rescue workers, there's, there's, there's different people who are working and, and, and those need to be done because there's uh, life is, is, the, the most, is the pinnacle of creation. Can I ask you a question? Where it says no work will be done on this day, no work, what is the Hebrew word for work? What is the root? What is it absolutely encompassing? So there's, there's avuda and tase. So doing and working, there's two, two verbs used interchangeably through the text. So, so then, Aaron, yep. if, if you needed to build a fire to do something, right, why, why did the Lord allow the death sentence if you broke this, the Sabbath? That's a good question. If, if it's made for man for rest, why? You know, it's, it's a puzzle to me that the Lord said, if you mess with the Sabbath, you're going to die. Yeah, that's um, in Exodus, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And where he, he says, you know, make fire, I'll kill you. And you're like, Whoa, oh, my gosh, where'd that come from? Um, and remember that in the tabernacle, when the Lord started the eternal flame, he starts it and then we had to keep it. So the, that, that was the fire that was uh, already, already made. Um, and how they preserved it while they were moving camp, I've got no idea. But anyway, that's up to historians much more equipped than me to, to, to think of. Um, but there's a partaking the idea of, of working the holy flame. But again, there's an interesting thing is uh, come to the Lord and offer your grain, which you're going to eat part of anyway, right? right? Because one of the other things that's mentioned in these festivals is food offerings. 
So you, there's a rest offering and then there's a come to me, oh, and present your food offerings. There's this idea of food fellowship, which then becomes part of the tradition. So we'll begin to now branch into some of the things that are not in the text, right? So what other festivals are not mentioned here, which we definitely know about these days? Hanukkah. Hanukkah. It's very important that we, we look at Teresa's question. Um, she, she was asking about why our translation uses the word um, don't um, do laborious work. Okay. It's, it's very important because one of the things I, I used to look at the Shabbat is in Exodus 12, 16, which I just posted in the chat, that it says that you, can, you, you, you must not do any work on those days except to prepare meals. So preparing meals is an exemption for the Shabbat. Um, I see it's an exemption, of course, like um, Aaron also mentioned, when you're dealing with life, it's an exemption on the Shabbat. If you're doing with um, circumcision, it's an exemption on the Shabbat. And of course, doing the Avodah in the Beit HaMikdash, everything that the priest does is an exemption on the Shabbat. So we have a lot of exemptions, and um, especially when it comes to food, you, you need to eat. Um, we, I know because in today's world, we have these so many rules that have um, been made, defenses, if you understand what defenses are, and this trying to protect us from breaking the Shabbat, and it has made the Shabbat very, very complex right now. And um, many of us are scared about it because of the complexity of the um, fences that have been made. Um, but that's not actually what the text actually says, if we look at the text, so that everybody can truly embrace the Shabbat for what the Shabbat is. So I think she was trying to get Mordecai to respond to, to, that, um, to that translation to see what... Um, it says. The question we have to ask here then is, is if we prepare the food, say on a Friday before the Shabbat, uh, what is the difference between preparing a meal on the Shabbat and taking your livestock to feed? Because the same principle of work is there. Everything is, is, is depending on interpretation. You know, just yes. like um, um, uh, who was asking, what's the word that is used to translate to um, work? Uh, in the Hebrew, it depends on the interpretation. Um, a lot of people might see it as um, something that um, is work, and um, some others might interpret it as something that is um, everyday um, activity. For instance, um, um, in, in, I was reading a text, and it's very interesting in this text, that you cannot pour a hot soup into a bowl of bread, where you have bread, because pouring the soup there will cook the bread because it's hot. So that uh, aspect of pouring the hot soup into the, the plate will make the bread to be cooked. And so when you do that, then you break the Shabbat. And you see that interpretation is that you cannot cook in the Shabbat. But if you read in some texts in, in the Torah, it says that what you can prepare is allowed for you to do. And, um, you know, it, a, a lot of the different interpretations, that's, that's what um, is um, affecting us. But um, I, I would like Modi to, to look at the word that um, Teresa asked, and um, it might help us. So the word, malachat avodah, lotasu, don't do. So malacha um, is, so avodah is the word for work, also the word for worship. And the, the smichut, the malachat, this other word that's put there, is um, what you would say is your occupation. So it's like if I'm a... Uh, Taylor, my occupational work is making clothes. So on the Shabbat, I don't make clothes. 
I might cook food, but that's not my occupation. Does that make sense? So some people will say you're doing a different, you're not, you're not actually doing work because your work is you're a tailor, but today you are not a tailor. And, um, and that's one of the things that the Shabbat does is it actually makes us all equal because a lot of the times our identity is wrapped up by what we do. You know, say, hi, Shimshon, my name's Aaron and I'm a doctor. Hi, Kate, my name's Aaron and I'm a dentist. And, you know, we, we, we identify ourselves and identity becomes about what we do. But on the Sabbath, you can't say that. You can't say, Shimshon, uh, I'm a doctor. And Shimshon says, not today you're not. Today you're just Aaron. And I'm just Shimshon. And, you know, hi, Kate, uh, I'm a dentist. And Kate's like, not today. Today you're just Aaron. And so there's a, a real blessing in the terms of the, like for the for six days, I'm a dentist, I'm a doctor, I'm a something. But on the Shabbat, no. On the Shabbat, I'm just like you. We're all exactly the same on the special day. We're all just us. Um, but again, you're right. Some work is done, like picking things up, moving things around. Well, you, know, you can get into interpretation and, oh, my gosh, some people can get incredibly strict. Mordecai could probably tell us stories of different denominations and how strict some of them can actually get, um, that, which, which is sometimes fun to do, but, but we don't want to go too, too crazy. But it, it, it's the Hebrew there is malachat avodah, um, which sometimes is translated as laborious work, could, could also be read as the work of your occupation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the complete Jewish Bible uses um, your occupation. Oh, does it? Yeah, the, yeah, that's the translation they use. That's, they're not do your work on your occupation. That's that's how the um, that's, um, Jewish Bible uses. David Stern's David Stern's version. Yeah, like he he would would get. Uh, oh, there you go. So Michelle goes. What about stay-at-home mothers? Because that's a real problem. Because they're obviously working until their children get married and leave, and even then they're still doing their laundry. Okay, um, but uh, uh, good question. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, so we, we noticed that out of these seven festivals, we now have more in our Jewish calendar. Okay. We got Hanukkah. What else have we got? Purim. We got Purim. Now, where do those come from? Bible. Well, ha- Hanukkah's not in the Bible, but. <laughs> Hanukkah's yeah. in the Apocrypha. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, in, it's in other people's Bibles, it's just not in uh, ours. Um, Purim is in ours, okay, it's in, in the book of Esther. And so we discover that on this idea of sacred time, when we acknowledge that God has done things and he's continued to intervene in human nature and history, we can add those things to calendars. And so we actually do have a precedence to add festivals. And so sometimes, you know, you get people going, oh, I really hate Christmas because it's not in the Bible. Okay, fine. Do you celebrate the birth of Jesus any other time? I mean, that's an event. So the Greeks do it on one day in January. The West does it a day in December. Some people move it over into September, October, depending on you know, where, where you think. But there are some, though, that go, nope, not going to celebrate it, which is a bit sad because it was a pretty monumentous event. And, uh, and we do have a precedence to, to add things. Other traditions which come around these holidays, which are not in the text. What about New Year? Oh, oh very good. Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is not in, in the list. Okay. The, the, what is in the list? Trumpets. 
Trumpets, exactly. It's the, the feast of Yom Teruah, the day of blowing. Um, yeah. And, uh, but which is now celebrated in the Jewish calendar as Rosh Hashanah. Okay? And so that's kind of modified. Any idea where that came from? Babylon. Yeah, there is, um, is a, a concept of um, when, when the Lord changed the time and told Moses that this shall be the beginning of months to you, um, that means it wasn't actually the beginning of months, or else it doesn't need to tell Moses this shall be the beginning of months. So the seventh month was actually the first month, and so when the switch happened, so we have two kind of counting, which is the um, traditional counting of the first of the first of the month. Then we have when the calendar changes. You know, the calendar will always change at the time when you complete a cycle, and so that's where we get that concept of. Um, the seventh month that we will say Rosh Hashanah, so which gets a lot of people confused. But um, if you if you read the text, it's it's very simple. I, from my own point of view, it looks um, simple sure. enough. <laughs> the uh, the word Rosh Hashanah appears in Ezekiel, okay, which is um, a diaspora book, which is written in Babylon. So when the Jewish people return from exile, uh, they've modified their calendar a little bit. And that includes naming all the months after Babylonian gods. Now, don't let that get anybody get nervous. It's not, I mean, no one's worshipping a Babylonian god. No one. Um, it's just, just its name. There is one, and each month has a, has a festival. Each month has something to celebrate. But there's one month of the Jewish year which, which has no, no festival, and that's um, Cheshvan. And uh, Cheshvan has nothing, and so um, it's a month of no festivals. So I, I read a... Um, a commentary where someone was complaining to their rabbi, well, what's this month doing with no festival? You know, what's there to celebrate? And the rabbi goes, because this month is the month the Messiah will come back on. And you're like, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you get, you, there's, there's some great traditions out there on their, on their time. Food offerings are included in Leviticus 23. Every time we have a little piece of holy time, bring before the Lord your food offering or drink offering in some, some traditions. And so food gets added to every festival, and we know them all now. Donuts and latkes, Hanukkah, cheesecakes and milk products at, uh, at Shavuot, um, all based around that little obscure verse in Song of Songs, where uh, it says that the Torah is like milk and honey to my lips. And so because... Shavuot was the giving of the Torah. We now must have sweet, sweet dairy products. Um, yep, why not? Uh, lamb at Passover. Obviously, we don't have a temple, so no lamb anymore. It's chicken or something. Chicken for everything these days. Um, and it, each thing has a, uh, uh, an idea. Also, different prayers show up. And there's... Um, Different festivals have different prayers to just to change the flavor and direction of our thoughts and our contemplations. And another tradition that gets added to each festival, which is not in the text, is a, is a, a reading, a megillah. You, you take a festival and you assign a book that has to be read at this time. Now, none of that's in the text. Right? Everything I just said for the last five minutes is not, it's not in the Bible. These are traditions. And that's okay. You don't have to like tradition. Fair enough. But the New Testament, as um, Mordecai has been sharing with some of his um, uh, Haredi friends, is that 
the New Testament reflects lots of Jewish traditions that have become, that were oral, that were suddenly, suddenly appeared in, in the Bible, like cups of wine at Passover. It's not in the text. Okay. And also reclining at the table. Reclining in, in, at in the Exodus, table. In Exodus, he said they should, they should greet their belts and be in a ready state to take off. But now we see in, in the New Testament, they are all reclining. And you're wondering why the, why the disparity is because yeah, it's tradition. Yeah, it's tradition. We don't, we don't tie our belt and ready to run. <laughs> yeah, because as I'm leaning back reclining, you all get to see my really fast sneakers and speedos. And I've got Quickly get out there and run, run out away from the Egyptians. Yeah. So each festival gets a special uh, uh, book to read, and I, I've, I've often some of them are obvious, right? Ruth at Shavuot. I mean, that's almost that's that's like an obvious one. Um, but why do people read Ecclesiastes at Sukkot? That I just don't know. You know, you know, uh, um, Sukkot is festival of joy. And happiness, and then you read the book that starts with, "Oh, it's all vanity, chaval." <laughs> yeah, but it takes that point of it being a festival of insecurity, doesn't it? Because he's really showing you you can put all your energy into getting your crops in and doing your work, and at the end of the day, it can all be blown away. That can happen, particularly with the crops, can't it? But you know, it happens in our jobs, doesn't it? We we work incredibly hard. You know, I know I did that in one of my organizations, establish all these wonderful policies, you leave and they get rid of them all. So it's as if you've never been there. And so he's saying that's what happens. But the only thing at the end of the day is to worship God and to keep his Torah. And I think that the, um, the whole idea about Sukkot and living in booths is to remind us you know, even though you're celebrating that you've had a good harvest, that you had all this fruit, that all this has happened, you know, you've got a good solid home to live in, and maybe you're not, of course, celebrating those things, um, then you have to remember they, at the end of the day, they come from God, and you have to be thankful to him. And that's, that, that's why I think Ecclesiastes might be there, but it's just a suggestion. I agree, I agree there, because at the end of Ecclesiastes, the whole point comes into being. It's all about the living God. And, and that's the whole point of Sukkot, isn't it? The Lord God tab uh, sort of tabernacling amongst us, right? It's a, an, a one solid stream of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another one of my favorites is read the book of Jonah at uh, Yom Kippur. Is everyone living in booths also? It's, you're, you're not, you can't close your door on everybody. You're open, aren't you? If you're all in 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 a booth, in a, a tent, you are you you can't hide away. It's meant to have an open side, yes. Yes. And you're meant to always receive guests. Yes. So it's not it's not it's it's more it's more than just um, what Ecclesiastes says. It's actually you you are having to walk the walk when you have a booth. You have to do those things. You can't hide. Yeah. Everyone will see you. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so I'm going to go on to, uh, I know you've got a hand raised there, but I'm looking at the time too. There are two things that I'd like to discuss, to think about. One, if holy time is incredibly important and making sacred time is very important, how do we in our modern world and our 24 lifestyle, how do we maintain, how do we set aside some holy time uh, in our in our communities, in our cultures, and 
Now, obviously, these are obviously we've already discussed this slightly at the beginning. These are feasts of the law, and as we've been pointed out, many people lump them back. No, the, no these are the feasts of the Jews. What about Gentiles wanting to being able to participating in uh, this? What happens when our local Baptist church builds a sukkah out the front? And what do Jews think when they walk past? What do Gentiles? What do the the Baptists think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some interesting thoughts. Like, what what is that? What 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 opportunities are there? I mean, I would I would love to know what Nigerians think when they walk past Shimshon's house and they go, "What the heck's he built here? Is he building an extension to his place? What's going on here?" You know. Um, they, they probably know all about you by now, but but you know these kinds of things always booths start appearing up around. Aaron, we have to talk about the what you mentioned that the coat um, is only for the Israelites. We have to talk about this. Uh, we, at the beginning, we mentioned that these are the feasts of the Lord, and it's a it's it's not correct to lump them all onto the Jewish people and say like that's just it. No, for everybody, these are the feasts of the Lord. Correct. And if we believe that Yeshua is there from the beginning, before time was there, he says, Yeshua, Jesus says these are his holy days, then these days would be for everyone to worship him on his days. And then if we go to Sukkot and if we read it that it was only for the Israelites, that brings in a whole nother discussion for me, who is Israel? But we have in Zechariah 14, Mordecai mentioned it. At the end of the end of everything, all nations will come to Jerusalem or Sukkot. That's correct. I'm going to argue that. No, you, you, can't, you can't argue with a prophet like that. That's actually a, a text. And I also like what Yeshua says at Passover when he, when he says, I will not drink any more of the fruit of this vine until uh, the kingdom of heaven. Okay, So Passover is actually done in the, new, in the kingdom of heaven. It's not, a, it's not a festival that just stops, right? It's a, it's a, Jesus says, I'm so glad I had the, uh, to celebrate Passover because I'm not going to celebrate Passover until the kingdom of heaven. And uh, so Passover is going to keep going. Sukkot's going to keep going. Um, these texts say these are et- eternal. These are, these are um, everlasting. They, 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 they don't have a, a terminus quo. And, um, and so uh, they occur in the world to come. But they're also occurring now. And as you know, there are some Gentile communities that do partake in these. And there's all kinds of blessings. Um, Tom's not here uh, today, but the community of St. Luke's built a huge sukkah at the front of their community and invited the local Jewish people and said, hey, I know you've got your sukkahs and you're inviting us to yours. Well, we're going to invite you to ours as well. Okay, we'll kick you a big big meal. Aaron, you know what I get the biggest kickback for this discussion? What's that? Israeli Jewish believers who was who were raised underneath the law, they will say, and it, mo- many of them are married to Gentiles now. They'll go, no, we can't put the Gentiles underneath this. This is not for them. Uh, I see that as first replacement theology. These are not for the Jewish. <laughs> you already know this. This is excluding everyone from something God said and Yeshua said was important to him. These yeah. things should be for anyone who chooses to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Yeshua. If we want to worship him, we join in on the days that are holy to him. Good for everyone. Yeah, and there's some incredible blessings, as we all know. 
in all exactly. of these things. Beginning, of course, with resting, the Shabbat, the stopping, the having some time, focusing back upon the Lord. Teresa, you've had a hand raised and been very patient. Thank you. Yes. Just on that last point about the Jews, you know, I was giving a talk. We, I used to be on a committee for the Council of Christians and Jews. Unfortunately, it's gone now. But I was giving a talk and we had invited. No, I wasn't. I was just part of the, the, that particular meeting. But we'd invited two young Jews, Orthodox Jews, to talk to us about something. I don't know, something they were working on. The point was, when I talked to them at some point you know, in, the ch in chatting afterwards, I said, oh, we celebrate the festivals because usually that had really impressed my rabbi incredibly. Um, and they, they didn't like it. Mm. Why are you take you've got your, why are you Christians? Why are you taking our festivals? And it was quite interesting. It's quite an, an eye opener that they really, really showed that they didn't like it. But um, my rabbi, Orthodox one, who knew Jonathan Sachs, he was a friend of his, I think, he introduced me once. I just happened through this role to be at, at a, a reception and the chief rabbi, the, the one who's chief rabbi in, in England now, he was there and my rabbi introduced me to him and said, in Teresa's church, they celebrate the festivals, they're, they're <laughs> celebrating Passover. But he wasn't so enamored, you know, he didn't say anything, but there is this uncomfortable attitude sure. towards Christians. But within the, the Christian church, I might tell you, you know, I've often, they often say about me, oh, Teresa, you're interested in Jewish things. And I said, no, I'm not. Well, I mean, I am, but I mean, we're not trying to be Jewish. And I was very careful not to particularly follow Jewish traditions, you know, the little things like the Dreidel at um, Hanukkah and so on. I tried to make it so that I could, we could integrate them into the calendar and make them very relevant. And it, it did work reasonably well, but sadly, and I think this is always the case, certainly at the moment, it's only a, 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 rem, a small number who really pick it up and runs, run with it with you. So we did, we did our celebrations at the evening service. The main body, a lot of the people didn't come and most of the leadership didn't come other than the vicar who was very committed to doing them at the time. But we did them for years. As we first celebrated Sukkot in 2007. And I've never known, and my sister was there, and she said, I've never known joy, such joy. And it was like the joy broke out. It was absolutely fantastic. And I'm sure God was pleased because we connected to the root. So, you know, we didn't do it in probably the best way possible because I was learning as we went along. But it, it was lovely. And sadly, the pandemic took them all away. And... Um, but you never know. I have hope, maybe if I'm in another church, that um, things might be different. Uh, yeah, that's all I wanted to say about them. Thanks, Teresa. Um, I, I wanted to make a comment now about some of the festivals and, and, and Shabbat. Um, when I go and travel, and, and sometimes not when I'm traveling, when I just encounter people in Israel, but particularly when I'm traveling and speaking and, and, and teaching, um, people will say, so, Aaron, do I have to observe the Sabbath? And you're like, okay, right. That's a, you know, I can quote to you Matthew 5, where the, the Lord himself says, he who teaches people to break these commands is the least. So I'm not going to tell you not to do it. How's that? Here's what I can tell you, is that in Jerusalem, 
there are some secular Jews. Oh, shock, you know, tell me it's not so, but there are. And uh, they drive on the Shabbat. And um, some of them drive very close to Meir Sharim, where there's lots of uh, Orthodox Jews. Probably not the best thing to do. And uh, the Orthodox Jews will gather by the, the side of the road and they might throw some stones at these cars and they yell and scream at them and, and uh, cause all kinds of ruckus. And it's a real mess. And especially if you live in that neighborhood, it's really horrible to constantly get the yelling and screaming by a bunch of Orthodox Jews yelling at other people for breaking the Sabbath. A couple of rabbis came over and went to these Orthodox who were yelling and screaming and said, what are you doing? And they go, look, they're breaking the Sabbath. This is horrible. We've got to try and stop them. And they very calmly said, you know, if you had invited them into your house, they wouldn't be driving on Shabbat. And so, so um, the best way for us to share the feasts of the Lord is exactly that, to share the feasts of the Lord. That's so to say to people, let me show you what Shabbat's like to me and my family by coming over. Let me show you what it's like when we celebrate Sukkot or have a Passover dinner. Come, come for Passover. And then uh, uh, that's the best way, I think. And, uh, and that's something that we can all do very gently wherever we are. And, uh, and that's the most powerful way, I think, to say, I would just like to show you how much I'm blessed by the feasts of the Lord and um, by him making a special time in his universe and me being part of his universe and, uh, and, and getting in, in line with the heartbeat of the universe, which oddly enough revolves around this seven-day cycle. Quite incredible how that works out. Do you know the French actually tried to make the work the week 10 days? Yeah, it failed miserably. <laughs> it failed absolutely miserably. Let's go, let's go by uh, what, a decimal. You know, everything's going decimal, so it didn't work. You know, don't mess with this. Okay. And now they're making it a four-day week, so that could be a problem. <laughs> yeah, and it's not working for them either. Have you noticed that? Really? So... Uh, Poor guys. No, bless the French. Oh, the Lord bless them. Bless them with a good government. The, the only reason why we why we buy calendar each year is because of the seven day week, and um, because it could have made sense. We have a five day or a, a seven, um, ten days week. Then all the years the calendars will just be the same. But you know, our heavenly Father in His wisdom created the seven day concept, and that is how time works. You can't beat it. It's Totally from God. It couldn't have been invented by man. It's just totally from God. It is. It uh, it's it screams creation, does it not? It does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. It's like Mordecai was sharing with us uh, yesterday. You know, the whole point of those opening sentences is just to say, "The Lord did it." You know, no, don't 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 get into the nitty gritties. How do you do it? You know, the Lord did it. Right, this didn't. This is not an accident. We are not random. You know, this is, this is a unique event and there's a very powerful, super smart person behind all this. And he builds into his creation this, this seventh day of resting and then comes along and says, I've got some special times, which is, as Shimshon pointed out, was right there in, in um, I think it's actually verse 2. And the Moedim shows up. I have to have a little look. Again, and uh, these festivals are all based around around this Sabbath, this, this this opportunity to rest, to stop, to have a, a fresh look 
at life, at the universe, at God, at family, and, uh, and recharge and get back at it again. All a blessing. And as, as the, it's reminded, these were gifts for man as well. Sabbath was made for man. Feast of the Lord, absolutely. But remember, he shares everything. Right? He shares himself. He shares his holy time. He, uh, he shares his dominion. He's the Lord of the universe. And he turns around and says, no, you have dominion and dominate the earth. But you're the, you're the king. Absolutely, I'm the king. Now you help me. And, uh, and uh, he's given us the gospel. But we've got to go share it. So it's, uh, we're partners somehow in this uh, divine plan. Yvonne? I was going to say it's amazing. It's just, it's like, you know, he calls it a delight. It, it's like a gift. To rest. I mean, everyone's. Oh, I can't wait! I can't wait to come home and rest. You know, we've got a whole day of rest, yep. and it's a gift. And it's and then people say, "Well, why are you doing this?" Or why, uh, you know, this isn't. It, it's crazy. It's like, and like all gifts, they have to be received. That's the thing. That's why the prayer book is called Kabbalah Shabbat, the receiving of the Sabbath. It's like God says, "I have a gift for you." Now you receive it. I'm not going to force it on you. I'm not going to throw it at you. I mean, it's there in the universe, but but you receive it. So, okay, Lord, I take the gift. And, uh, it's it's so. precisely the same as the gift of faith, right? Exactly. Here's the gift. Take it. Run with it. I, I the Lord, make you holy. I, the Lord, give you faith. I, the Lord, have mercy and, and grace. Now run with it. Share it. Give it to each other. Be merciful to everybody else in the way I was merciful with, with you share the spirit because I gave you the spirit, you know, so which is a great stuff. All right, guys, any other further comments um, before we wrap it up? For those that have been listening, I hope uh, you've been uh, enjoyed our discussion, challenged a little bit perhaps. If you are, please get in contact, write back. We would be delighted uh, to engage in discussion about the festivals of the Lord. Uh, we continue, we've gone through. Um, the holiness code that has brought us to uh, this little part, that time itself is holy. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.